morning. Good morning. Welcome to, to Faith this morning. We're in a series on Christian worship. And we've been looking through First Chron- the book of First Chronicles. i got to get this out of my way. I'm going to step on it. Down here. First, Chron- First Corinthians uh, chapter 14 is where we are right now. First Corinthians. And, and many, many people in our day, unfortunately, reject the scriptures. They reject what God has said in his word. And one reason is, is because they don't like what it says in certain places. And it, it says things that just seem outdated, strange, out of touch. Things that experts of our day have concluded are not true and don't work in modern society. Two reactions to that. Much of, of that thinking is what philosophers call a straw man argument. Where you have an argument where you have something that's real and then a, a, a true person and then a straw man, where, which is easy to knock down. They're knocking down a straw man, not the real truth. That's one of, that's one of my first reaction to that. The other reaction is from the scriptures, Isaiah 55, which reminds us. Isaiah 55 says, I says my ways are not like your ways. Remember that? Remember that verse? <laughs> It tells us that there's some things about God that he's revealed to us that are not like we would think they are. And there's going to be some tension in, how, in what we feel and how we think about what, what God has said. So that, that's all kind of as background. There's just difficult things and just some things that, that, that look different. Few biblical teachings have been subject to more of a straw man argument than the issue we're looking at today. The apparent silencing of women by the Apostle Paul. In Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 14, we've been taking a detailed look at, the, at what the Apostle Paul is saying, addressing the norms of public worship. And we can't avoid these two verses. So if we were picking verses, we wouldn't pick this. So now we're going through the whole chapter because I think it's, it's vital that we understand what God has said to us. So I want to look at these two verses today which seems to say something quite tough for most of our ears. But I, hopefully I will convince you of why it, it is not teaching what at first glance you think it's teaching. In, in the garden, Adam was given very clear instructions. You can eat of everything except this one fruit. What did he do? What did Adam and Eve do? Well, Satan got them to focus on what they could not do rather than all the things they could do. And the same thing is happening as Paul stresses a prohibition here in the text we're going to look at in a second. Now, obviously, Paul had heard that contrary to his previous instructions to the church at Corinth, the Corinthian saints were not following what the other churches were doing. But what is he actually prohibiting? What is it that he's prohibiting? That's the question of the day, and, and, and let me say up front, we should not take what Paul is saying here as an absolute prohibition on all verbal expressions by women in public worship, okay? So let's look at the text. Um, ver- uh, ver- actually, we're going to look at verses um, 33 to 35, but I'm going to back up and look at some of the verses that we've already talked about because apart from context, this doesn't seem to make a lot of sense. So we're going to start... Back up to verse 26, and read 26 all the way to 35. What then, brothers, when you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. If anyone speak in a tongue, let there be only two, or at most three, and each in turn, and let someone help them. 
But if there's no one to interpret, let each of them keep silent in the church and speak to himself and to God. Let two or three prophets speak, then let the others weigh what is said. If a revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first be silent. For you can all prophesy one by one so that all may learn and all be encouraged. And the spirits of prophets are subject to prophets. For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. Those are the verses we've been talking about the last uh, several times. As in all the churches of the saints, the women should keep silent in the churches. For they are not permitted to speak, but should be in submission, as the law also says. If there is anything they desire to learn, let them ask their husbands at home. For it is shameful for a woman to speak in church. Now you know I would, why I would rather skip these verses, but they're the word of God. May God bless the hearing of his word. My title, Women Keep Silent. What? That's my title. I stated a few minutes ago, uh, we should not take what Paul says here as an absolute prohibition on all verbal expression by women in public worship. And yet, a simple reading, it sure looks like that's what he's saying. You take those verses in isolation. So let me start by, by, by saying that here at the outset that the, the burden of proof is on me to clearly show you what Paul is really saying. Doesn't, it doesn't feel right, it doesn't sound right, but that's not enough. There are things in the Bible that it says that are not popular to the world around us and don't feel right, don't sound right. And yet, they, they're true. We must affirm them. And just and with an example, the, the idea of God choosing the elect for salvation, that rubs people, it rubs some of us. It contains some troublesome insights and aspects. And yet the scriptures teach that. However, this group is, is not like that. As we work to do this, as we look at this this morning, to understand what's being taught here by Paul, I think we'll feel, feel, see something very clearly. There, there's no blanket prohibition of women speaking in public worship. On the contrary, I think what God wants us to see as we look at the whole context is God delights in the manifold glorious praises of all of his children. God delights in the praises of all of his children. That includes women. Now, now my, my procedure today is going to be a little different. This is a message on, on, on how we have to think theologically, how we, how we do theology. We can't just say it feels wrong, it sounds wrong, so it must be wrong. You can't, you can't, you can't do that to the scripture. No, we have to go deeper than that. So today I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to break all the rules of preaching today. It's not the first time I've done that, as you know. But In the books, we're told to look at the text and preach the text. Share, share its main truth and then apply it to the people. Don't share your process of arriving at the truth of the passage. People don't care about that. Teach enough that they understand where you get your conclusion. But, but, but don't spend too much time teaching. Just preach. Preach it. Don't teach it. Well, I, I, I think on a topic like this, we need to understand some things. We need to teach. So I've decided to do some more teaching today. I want, us, I want us to learn what this passage is saying and why Paul says it as he does. But also, I want us to learn how to approach the Bible. How do we approach the Bible? Especially on passages that on the surface are troublesome to us. And then in the end, if there's time, I'll preach. We'll apply this passage. 
That's where we're going. So I want, here's my outline. I want to talk about the Bible study process, the process of, of Bible study. Second, I want to apply that process to this text, the process in this text. And then I'm going to preach the, apply the, 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 this text to our church. First is the Bible study process. When I was in university, we learned that, uh, that there was a three-part process, and I learned the same thing in seminary, observation, interpretation, and application. You know, uh, several days ago, four-year-old Aaliyah, my granddaughter, was singing, and she said, if you're happy and you know it, clap your hands. She must have learned that in preschool this week. The little kid's jingle. And I just chuckled because years ago, to that same tune in university, we would, at conferences, sing the little ditty, observation, interpretation, application, <laughs> observation, interpretation, and application. If you really want to grow, there are three things you must know, observation, interpretation, and application. So, Aaliyah must have known that I was going to preach on this this week. The little kids jingle. Observation. What does the passage say? You observe the text. You analyze the contents, the text of, of what the message is saying. What are the undeniable facts that the text seems to be asserting? Is the translation accurate? The Old Testament's in Hebrew. The New Testament's in Greek. How can you, how, how can you do this when you don't know the original language? That's a big question for most of us. But by comparing several translations to get a sense of what the verses are getting at. If there are several translations that are essentially saying the same thing, you have a good idea that that's what the, the original language is saying. And scholars, are, are there's no disagreement. That's the content analysis. And then there's context analysis. Very few verses stand alone. Very few verses stand alone. They must be looked at in the context of the paragraph of the passage, of the chapter, of the bigger section of the book, of the book, of the testament. Every, every verse has a context. You've probably heard people say, well, you can make the Bible say anything you want to, can't you? Well, if you ignore context, sure, you can do that. You can do that with Shakespeare, too. You, you don't ignore context. This is a real conversation from several days ago. Ariel, your grandmother is working on the computer upstairs. Do not go upstairs. Do not go upstairs. Do not go upstairs. Now, Ariel is two years old. She'll be three in a few weeks. But she plainly understood that I was not telling her to never, ever in her life go up those stairs. She understood that. She understood my words had a context. She understood that we were not going to bring her bed downstairs and her toys downstairs and, 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 and say, you can never, ever go up the stairs again. No. She knew that it was a prohibition that had context. Essentially, she would be allowed to go upstairs. She's not universal. She's not timeless. She's not yet three years old, and she understands language. Yet we look at God's word sometimes, and we fail to treat it like we treat the words of one another. That there's context. There's context. Don't ignore context. Interpretation. What did the author mean? What did the author mean in his context? That's where it gets difficult. That's where we have to dig and study. Two things, history and harmony. First, history. We must recognize that the Bible comes to us from a different time, a different historical setting. 
uh, th- there are gaps that we have to bridge to get an accurate understanding of what's there. We don't just read it and say, God, what does it mean for me? That, that, that's, that, that's, not what, that's not the way God, the Bible's put together. We must look at it. There's the, 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 the gap of history, different time. There's the gap of, of different culture. What's, what's the culture like that was, that was going on at that t- in that portion of Scripture? Um, education. What were their educational understandings at that time? What, li- linguistic. What, what, what were their linguistic language understandings? Geography. What are some of the geor- geographical things in, in the passage that might give light to what's going on? Most of the Bible comes to us in the context of real-life people just like you and just like me. It's not a book just dropped from heaven with little axioms. No, it, it, it's narrative. Most of it is na- it's narrative. Truth through people's lives. It's not pure. It, very little of the Bible is pure wisdom literature. There's a little bit, but it's not, much of it is not. It's linked to time and space and people's lives. How do, we, how do we get at that? We look at Bible commentaries. We look at Bible encyclopedias. We look at Bible dictionaries. To see, just to get that kind of information. That's why we have to study. One of the things you're trying to discern is what in this passage is a universal core principle as opposed to a, a non-universal temporary application of a universal principle. That's one of the things you're trying to figure out when you look at this historical passage. Example, classic example is the passage in 1 Corinthians 11, the one that we didn't start with when we started this series, about, about the women covering their heads. Remember that? Uh, 1 Corinthians 11. Um, some groups of the church, such as the Amish, and the Mennonites, and the Brethren, they believe it's a universal principle. So even today, women worship with head cover. Some even go through life, with the head, public life, with the head cover. Most Bible students conclude that the wearing of the head covering is a cultural application of a principle. It's not uh, uh, a universal application. So that, that's what history, you have to dig to figure that out. You have to read to figure that out if you want it to be just. But the other thing is harmony. Harmony. Uh, you look at other verses in the Bible. How do they harmonize? How do they fit together? Verses on the same topic. To see if they shine light on the meaning of the verses that you're trying to understand. A very important principle is always interpret that which is clear, uh, that which is unclear. You, you use that which is clear to, to shine light on that which is unclear. That's one of the fallacies that people do. If, it's very, if the scripture plainly says this about a subject, then you use that as opposed to something that is unclear on that same subject. Example, the, uh, in the book of, of James, the epistle of James, that letter in the New Testament, at, at first glance, as you read the, the book of James, if you only had that book in the Bible, you would think that a person is saved by doing good works. You would. Because that's what James seems to talk about. We have to understand context. We have to understand the harmony of what Scripture says. The, the predominant message of Scripture because James does not contradict Paul, who says that salvation is not through works, but through faith in Christ Jesus, not through the things we do. And so the principle of harmony, it teaches us that the overwhelming conclusion of the Bible is that works cannot save. You cannot be saved by doing good works. And so as you look at James, you realize that he is simply saying that, that a genuine saving faith produces works. And that's what he's concentrating on, harmony, looking at scriptures as a whole. Observation, interpretation, and then application. What does it mean for us? What does it mean for us in our context here in our lives? This is where we get practical. 
and, and, I, and think through what it means for our lives today, for the church, for our lives, for the world. And this is where we think through how we respond personally to what God seems to be saying in his word. One verse that I think about often when I think about ap- application is Proverbs chapter 3, 5 and 6. It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. He will direct your path. That's what we want. We want the Lord to want to hear from God that he might direct our paths. And that's, that, that's the prayer we should pray when we're looking at applying the word of God. We need to lean on godly biblical wisdom. And this includes leaning on, the, on others in the body of Christ. That's why we have Bible study. That's why we have the message. That's why we have teaching. We need to lean not on our own understanding, but on, on, on the body of Christ. This is why it's good to study other books and, and scholars from other parts of the church, from other parts of church history. Don't just lean on our own understanding. Learn from others, the wisdom of others. But, but, but also, we need to lean on, on the nudges of the Holy Spirit. <laughs> his Spirit, God has said that when we come to Christ, His Spirit dwells within us. He is our teacher. And we, he, we walk with we walk in the spirit, we walk with him. That's the process. Now, let's shift. This text, this troublesome text, verses 33, 34, and 35. Our observation, interpretation, application. What did Paul say? What did he say? And particularly the last few verses. As in all the churches of the saints, the women should keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but should be in submission. As the law also says, if there's anything they desire to learn, let them ask their husbands at home. It's shameful for a woman to speak in church. So I reviewed four translations, well actually five, but four translations. The NIV, the New King James Version, the New American Standard Version, and the ESV translation, which is the primary translation that we use in our church. And um, the order of the phrases was adjusted in some of the translations, but most of the words were the same. Here's some of the differences that I found. And again, you can do this by just going to Bible Gateway and looking at all the translations, or if you have them on your shelf, just grab them and look at, and, 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 and study them. The word, the word confusion was sometimes disorder. The word permit was sometimes allowed. Uh, be in submission was sometimes submit themselves. Learn was inquire. Shameful was disgraceful. Now, so there's different words. The meaning in this, these several verses, the meaning is not altered at all. The meaning, there's nothing that, that's difficult in the choice of words by one translation over another. Now, one thing, one translation that I did look at, which is more of a paraphrase, by the way, is the message by Eugene Peterson's The Message. And uh, his, now he did have, he did do something with the words that were quite interesting. Let me, let me read the verse, two verses in, in The Message. Wives must not disrupt worship, talking when they should be listening, asking questions that could more appropriately be asked by their husbands of their husbands at home. Husbands, uh, uh, God's book of the law guides our manners and customs here. Wives have no license to use the time of worship for unwarranted speaking. Now, Peterson, here's what he does. The word for women and wives is the same word in the Greek. Okay. The, uh, the four translations I looked at, they all translated it women. Peterson translated wives, and he looked at this as just wives and husbands, okay? So that's a, that's a significant change in the meaning of the passage, okay? So language, you, what, what is the passage saying? What's the content of the passage? The 
the point is simply this. You know, you, 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 can, you need to trust your translation. You know, um, some of you, I know many of you love football. You can, you can watch football on a tablet, a, a six-inch, seven-inch tablet, or you can watch football on a, on a giant screen TV. And, and it's a different experience, isn't it? <laughs> if you're watching on a, on a six-inch tablet, you can tell what's going on, but you can't see all the details. You can't, you, you can't, you can't, you can't see all the details. If you have a giant screen TV, you can see more. It's a better experience. Well, I, that is synonymous to what I tell people it is to understand the original languages. It's very, very helpful to know the original languages and to be able to see some of the nuances, some of the differences, but it doesn't change the play. What happens on the play isn't any different. And, that, and, and so don't, don't think, that like in the Middle Ages, that only the scholars and the old theologians can understand the scriptures. Trust your English Bible. Trust your English Bible. Use compare translations, but you can trust the scriptures. Now, context analysis. This is where we get into what this passage is getting at. And I believe that the key to understand to interpreting this passage correctly is right here in the context. Okay? Now here's the context. Here's verse 27 is about the ordering of, of the gift of tongues. 27 and 28 is the interpretation of the gift of tongues. Verse 29 is the weighing or the examining or the testing of prophecy. Verses 30 and 31 is the ordering of prophecy. And then comes verse 34 and 35, the silencing of women. And here's the decision you have to make as you look at these pa the passage, this paragraph. Is the apostle introducing a new subject at verse 34? Okay, that's the question. And my answer is no. He is not introducing a new subject. I believe he's continuing to discuss the weighing, testing, examining of New Testament prophecy. And I believe that's a clue to understanding this passage. As we stated in previous weeks, I believe that uh, the prophetic utterances of the New Testament were unique, given by God in the first century during a transitional period before the entire New Testament. And Christians differ on whether that continues. I don't want to get into all that. Uh, Paul, Paul is calling for an absolute silencing of women as a simple reading of as it seems to suggest. No, he's not. He's not doing that. He's not doing that. Paul, Paul is not trying to silence women totally. Oh, by the way, <laughs> I, I was raised around four strong sisters and a strong mother. I have a strong wife and I have a very strong daughter. I put the, I put very strong. You all know Grace. She's very strong. <laughs> the notion of silencing them would not only be laughable, but futile. <laughs> God is not trying to silence totally women. Some think that Paul is saying that this is for women in the church who come to Christ. The little who get saved. In society they can talk, but in the church they can't. Eh, no, I don't think that's Paul. God's not trying to muzzle, muzzle Christian women. Why would you want to be saved? You can't talk. You, if your voice isn't important. Once you, that, that, that doesn't make any sense. Some think that this is a prohibition for just married women. I just showed you how Peterson used the word uh, wives there. Nah, but not so sure. Some think this is a prohibition of all women in public gatherings of all types in the church. Again, I don't think that's all that passage is saying. That God delights in the praise of his people, all of his people, including women. So what did Paul mean? In Bible study, we should always take the simple, literal 
interpretation of a text unless there's evidence that clearly says not to. Is there here? I believe there is here. But the, the burden of proof, as I said, is on me. I'm very willing to live with the results of unpopular views. The conclusion that public tongues is no longer needed is not always popular. The conclusion that Adam and Eve were real people is not always popular. The conclusion that Jesus is the only Savior is not always popular. The conclusion that there really is divine judgment is not always popular. There are all, th these are unpopular conclusions that I believe we must hold if we look at the Scriptures. And we must be willing to live in, in, in being ridiculed and accused. But the issue of women silencing is not like that. It's not. I do not believe Paul's saying that women must zip their lips when they come to church. Because this principle of history, history. Th this is the task of, see of seeking, to, again, to reconstruct the life situation. And, and many people look at the history of the text. And one of the things that we learn is that the New Testament churches were modeled after the, old, the, the, the Jewish synagogue systems where the women were on one side and the men were on another side. They were divided. Okay? Um, it is true that during that day, women, most women were, were, had less biblical education and understanding of what was going on. That is true. It's also true there may have been a language barrier because the, the service might not have been in the same language as, as, as the, the um the native language, and, and maybe some of the men who had more education would understand the language better. Maybe that's something that's going on. But I love what Don Carson did. Don Carson was one of my professors in seminary. He's written some great comments on this text. He says, the Greek ecclesia, ecclesia is the Greek word for the gathering, the gathering people, a public meeting. A public meeting, women were not allowed to speak at all in Greek gatherings. By contrast, the Christian ecclesia, born along by the Spirit, were encouraged to do so. In that sense, Paul was not trapped by the social customs of Corinth. The gospel, in his view, truly freed women from certain cultural restrictions. So there was an absolute restriction in, in the Greek ecclesia, that, that, that culture, from women's uh, speaking in gatherings. Paul, the synagogue system, that, that as Paul went to those cities, Paul did not follow that. Carson also said, the argument that some women were too noisy cannot be taken very seriously. That's what some people think is going on in this passage with the divided seating. But we must ask why Paul then bans all women from talking. And were there no noisy men? Nor is it plausible that the women are silenced because they are uneducated. For again, we must ask why Paul does not silence uneducated people, not just uneducated women. And since Paul's rule operates in all the churches, it would be necessary to hold that all first century Christians, Christian women were uneducated, which is palpable nonsense. We know that. So, so the more sophisticated approach argues that women were exploiting their emancipation, refusing the ruling of Christian and falling into various heresies. So that's some of the things we learn from history as we dig into the history of the passage. Now, harmony. What do the other verses in the New Testament say that shine light on this passage? Well, Acts chapter 2 is a classic passage. Was in the Pentecost, the Spirit of God fell, and, and, and Peter announces, he uses um, the book of Joel chapter 2, that, that, that on your sons and daughters shall prophesy, young men see visions, old men dream dreams, male servants and female servants, the Spirit will be poured out on all flesh. Okay? You see that prediction, that women will be filled with the Spirit and will speak prophecy. In chapter 11, again, earlier in this book of Corinthians, you see regulations given to women as they pray and as they prophesy. 
Paul said in verse 4, every man who prays prophesies with his head covered, discovers his head, but every wife or woman who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head. So, praying prophecy. Carson says that Paul has been requiring that the church in Corinth carefully weigh the prophecies presented to it. And women, of course, may participate in such prophesying. They, that was established in chapter 11. Paul's point is that they may not participate in the oral weighing of prophecies. That is not permitted in any of the churches. The question is why. The question is why. And, and I, I would link back to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, a couple of verses. Uh, I don't permit a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man. Rather, she's fully required. Teach and exercise authority. Some see that as two things. Most, uh, I, I believe that that's one thing. This is, this is talking about the, the, the authoritative type of teaching, not just the teaching we all do together. You could also link it with chapter 5 of 1 Timothy. Let the elders who rule be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. Preaching and teaching and ruling. Combined in one person. This, it seems that this is talking about, about, but not just general teaching and preach, general teaching, but it's talking about an, the office of elder. The responsibility of elder to teach and rule. That's what seems to be indicating, and that's why we believe there's an ultimate authority in the, the office of the elders in the New Testament church. Harmony. Another very important passage is Titus chapter 2. There we see Paul commanding Titus to instruct the older women to teach the younger ones. He says, teach the, teach the younger ones um, to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. So there's a teaching ministry that Paul instructs Titus to tell the women in the church. Another verse that shines some light on, on this idea of women using their gifts verbally is... Um, Way back in the book of Exodus, there's an interesting passage uh, after the Red Sea experience when they were, they were rejoicing that, uh, that Pharaoh's armies were drowned. And in Exodus chapter 15, the, the, um, it says, Miriam, the prophetess, the sister of Aaron, took a tambourine in her hand, and all the women went out after her with tambourines and dancing. Miriam sang to them, sing to the Lord, please triumph gloriously, the horse and the rider he's thrown into the sea. So Miriam is, is leading the other women in worship. So she's using her worship gifts in that way, her lead, worship leadership gifts in that way. God delights in all of us using our gifts. Now, application. As I look at my time, I don't have as much time as I thought. Let me quickly run through some applications of this for us as a congregation. We urge you five things. Celebrate God. Celebrate the inclusion of God in his church. <laughs> Celebrate that. It's no longer the court of the Gentiles and the court of the women. We're all one in Christ Jesus. Galatians 5, uh, 3.28. There was an old Jewish prayer that said, Blessed are you, O king, God, King of the universe, who has not made me a Gentile, a slave, and a woman. Can you believe that prayer? A Christian can't utter that prayer because we are all one in Christ Jesus. The temple curtain was torn when Christ died. And the temple system and, and, and the barriers and the, and the Old Testament lessons were, were over. We now won in Christ Jesus. There's access. Celebrate the inclusion. Two, exercise spiritual gifts. Exercise spiritual gifts. I urge all of us, men and women, to use our gifts in the body of Christ. Sing, pray, share testimonies, read scripture. Women can teach under the authority of the elders. It's clear what we see here. 
just as all non-ordained men can do. We teach. We teach one another. We, we looked, uh, I guess, for five weeks at the, uh, the uh, task force, the, the, our ta- women's task force findings, and, and combine that with the, our denominational uh, paper, the long paper, which, which affirms the giftedness of, of all of us and, and, and exhorts us to use our gifts in God's church. And I want to encourage you to do that. Thirdly, this is important, maintain the idea of biblical of eldership. I urge you to maintain that. Despite the, the very strong tide that says it is outdated, that it is sexist, that it's oppressive, I, I urge you to maintain that. I, I, I see it as biblical. And like I said, there's certain things in the Scripture that are against the tide, but we must maintain it. Fourthly, I, I urge you to pursue peace. In God's church, I, I know that what I've said today, it, for some of you, it, 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 it's troublesome on, on, on many ways, on many, many sides. For some of you, you're saying it's not, it's not, uh, 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 it's it's too strong on the side of, of 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 male leadership. Some might say it's too weak on the side of male leadership. I I, I know my congregation, and let me urge you. <laughs> Leadership and, 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 and service here are, 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 are different in that we allow people to, to serve at certain levels, even if you don't agree with about everything that we, we believe as, as leaders. I mean, infant baptism, predestination, tongues, the role of women, um, the second coming, all these things, there's a lot of opinions out there in our church. You know that. But let's not make them deal breakers for us. Let's agree to maintain and pursue the peace of Christ's church. All of us have things we wish were a little bit different. All of us do. But at the end of the day, Christ has called us together to serve him, to love him, to be his people here in Baltimore, Pendleton, and the world. And the last thing, trust your Bible. Trust your Bible. Now, I've been studying the Bible for over 50 years, and it makes more sense each year. Yet, there's still things that make you scratch your head. Okay? But I know without doubt <laughs> that it's God's word. Jesus, the resurrected Lord, established the authority. And indeed, the Old Testament is true. This is the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. Psalm 19. Do I understand it all? No. But I am growing in my knowledge of God through it. And that's the only source of truth for us, for us all. And I hope you see that sometimes what it looks like it says on the surface is not what it's saying, and we need to go deeper. Study to show yourself approved to God, a workman. Who needs not to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. 2 Timothy 2.15. You can trust your Bible. The Bible celebrates women more than you can imagine and affirms their speaking gifts. Trust your Bible. You'll see in your Bible Jesus affirming a woman at a well who went into town to proclaim Jesus as the Messiah 
right after his 12 apostles went to the same town and brought no one back. You can't silence women. You can't silence that woman's wealth. She went. She spoke. She evangelized. Trust your Bible. In that Bible, you will see women affirmed as the, 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 the primary witnesses, the first witnesses to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. While the apostles were fleeing, you can't silence the women at the tomb. Trust your Bible. In that Bible, you will see the same apostle Paul going to the same town of Corinth in Acts 18 to disciple a woman named Priscilla, who was the corrector of the teacher Apollos, whose teachings was a little off. She and her husband corrected Apollos who is proclaiming an incomplete gospel. That's the Bible. That's the Bible you can trust. The Bible points us to the one who died on the cross, a cruel cross, a horrible cross, for men and for women, boys and for girls, to gather a people from every nation, every tribe, every tongue, to come together and give him praise. May we be that kind of a people as we move forward. Amen. Let's pray.